Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Keeping Good Company, the podcast helping you build business success through culture and leadership. In this episode, we'll be chatting to Mary Lamonis, Chief People and Sustainability Officer from the REA Group, about why culture doesn't always live in the building. Corinne Cantor, Head of Consulting at Human Synergistics, will also be in the studio today. You might remember her from our chat in Episode 1. OK, let's get started on Episode 2. Mary, welcome. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. I'm so keen to hear some of your story, especially let's talk first about COVID mm-hmm. because as an organisation, there was a lot of changes that, that happened. Give us a sense of that. Sure. Uh, I think for REA Group, we were in a very fortunate position. Being a digital business, we didn't have to grapple with a lot of the infrastructure challenges that some organisations had. So we were probably one of the first in our peer set in Melbourne to make the call to go fully remote quite early. I remember a call with the executive team on a Sunday going, okay, guys, this is not looking great. What are we going to do? And fortunately, we didn't have to choose between running the business and keeping people safe because we were able to go fully virtually in a very efficient and seamless way without skipping a beat on the business. So we were, we were really lucky and... Um, it's just a part of who we were contextually as an organisation. I look at other organisations and I really feel for them, that the, the ones that really had to start to put a lot of that infrastructure in place. As you say, that infrastructure was already well in place. You are a digital organisation, but still there must have been some moments for you where you're thinking, oh my goodness, how are we actually going to manage this for our people? Yeah, for sure. Look, we, we'd had a preview because we, at that point, we were running a business based in, well, we had multiple businesses in Asia. Uh, one of our businesses was in Hong Kong. So we had a very early read from probably January about some of the basic things we should be thinking about doing. But I think it's it's one of those moments where no one has the playbook. And so you're just relying a lot on collaborative conversation, but then gut instinct, because you can't afford to postulate too much. You've got to make calls. And we were able to do that. I think one of the nice things about a, an organisation that's the size of REA, we're about, you know, now we're about 2,800, but you can wrap your arms around a business that size quite easily and make some pretty swift decisions. And so I was really fortunate that with the management team, we were able to do that. It did take some of the pressure off, but a lot of us were going day by day because we didn't have the answers. That image of wrapping your arms around your people, I think is really quite telling about the sort of culture that you have within your organisation. Yeah, it is. Look, we were really fortunate and I think we'd done the culture survey. We literally, I think, had just gotten the results, Corinne, if I'm not mistaken. It was just a couple of months earlier. We always knew that REA was a really humanistic place for us. That's probably one of our core values. We talk about doing it with heart. We talk about doing it as one team. But equally, we also talk about keeping it real. And so one of the things that we'd been working on as a leadership team was just getting that sharper edge into our business. And so I think this was the perfect opportunity to show the care, but equally show the fact that we had to keep the business on the rails because none of us knew what the future looked like. Like we had three budget scenarios going. We had a worst case, we had a best case, we had a mid case that sense of trying to calm everyone down but equally be open to the fact that none of us knew what was going to be happening 
was really important. And I think the fact that we fundamentally care about each other as a business, you know, we're really fortunate. We've got lots of competent people at REA, but really good humans too. And I think that's the magic, right? And Corinne, that must be music to your ears, Mm. hearing Mary talk about the magic of her people. Totally. And I think as I was listening to you, Mary, I was thinking one of the things that COVID did was really show whether it brought people together because nobody knew what it meant. And you had people who were feeling frightened. You had people who were worried about their jobs. You had business leaders who didn't know that they could keep the business going. And it just sounds like in so many instances, what's heartening is that it actually brings people together because no one has the answer. So no one's fighting to be right. Everybody's just trying to work it out together. And I think there was such an imperative to make sure that people were safe. And so it really gave organisations that were already oriented that way, it just maximised their ability. You really saw the culture come to play. And other organisations had an opportunity to learn how to do it if they weren't already. Let's talk about that bringing people together. Mary, what you began quite early on was that that notion of the town hall meeting, didn't Mm -hmm. you? Yes. Yeah, we moved um, very swiftly to a weekly town hall. And we're really fortunate. Our CEO, Owen Wilson, is someone who is really good on his feet, quite a transparent communicator, doesn't require a lot of prep. You know, one of the core parts of our town hall is an, a Q&A. It can be anonymous. You can own the questions if you want. And obviously when you're fully virtual, it was a mixed bag. Some people would tell us who they were, others wouldn't. But I think it was so fundamental to just building that sense of where are we, where do we think we're going, what's in our minds, why are we doing what we're doing what's important to the business. And it was just such a game changer for us. And we eventually changed the cadence, but we stayed in that weekly cycle through that first round of COVID. And REA Group is a Melbourne-based organisation. We have offices all over Australia. We now have businesses in India. But in that moment, about 85% of our staff were in Melbourne. And so we'd gotten through that first round and then you can, we all know what happened in Melbourne in 2020. And so We really doubled down on those weekly town halls, particularly during that second lockdown in Melbourne. And obviously that was so difficult. It was so difficult for people. And I know what you did as well was that you focused heavily on mental health. Yeah, we did. We did. And and look, we were, I I think it was a sort of a dual approach. We, We wanted to make sure that the broader enterprise was equipped. So we accredited a lot more people in mental health first aid training. We started with my team, a lot of people in the people and culture team, but then we actually in a second round broadened it out more to other people leaders. But equally in parallel, we spent a lot of time with our people leaders. We overinvested and fortunately we were already on that path, but it just helped to be able to really wrap our arms around that community and say, we know this is really hard because you're having to help people navigate their journeys, but you're also navigating your own. And so we really tried to make sure that we were equipping them with the skills that they needed to be able to support. You just don't know where you're going to get it. Some people that we thought probably would weather the storm better didn't. Others surprised us in terms of how they stepped up during those challenging times. You just never know, I think, until the pressure comes, what's going to happen. So, you know, everyone, again, I think did a a wonderful job around that. And Corinne, isn't that the truth that you don't know how you're going to deal with something? I think we all have these notions of, yes, I'll be able to cope, I'll be able to manage that particular instance. But it's not until you're in the eye of the storm that you really see what you're made of and what the people around you are made of. Completely. You know, one of my favourite 
sayings is change doesn't need your permission to happen. It happens. It, it reminds us that we're not in control. What I really love about um, the REA story is that the deliberate conscious working on leadership and culture was happening anyway. And I think it's a testament that it's not about preparing for a disaster. It's preparing to be effective. It's preparing to be a good leader and to understand what effectiveness looks like. And then it's also thinking about the kind of culture would get the best out of our people. And so that when something like this happens, people are match fit. They're ready to go. And I think that's the great, you know, when I was listening to you, Mary, I thought it was really that investment really paid off because you were ready to tackle the change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was planning. We will take credit for that. I think we've always maintained the importance of leaders in an organisation and we'd really shifted our investment probably about two years earlier in that space. I always talk about where does your energy go when things get hard? And, you know, this isn't a shameless plug for, for Corinne and Human Synergistic, but that's why I love that tool so much because it's, it's such a logical tool. Do you come at things defensively? Do you come at things aggressively or do you come at things constructively? And so when we talk about, particularly during times of change and uncertainty, when people are putting energy into the right things to propel forward rather than infighting or retreating, you just get so much more done as a business because the energy is going into forward motion as opposed to protecting oneself which I think is what any of us would want, whether it's personally or professionally. Let's talk more, though, about those steps that you made as an organisation, those sort of two years ago. What was it that made you think we need to change or let's grow, let's do things differently? Great question. I'd been working in consumer goods my entire career. REA Group was my first digital experience. So I joined them in 2018. I remember at the time the CEO and I were having this conversation and She's like, look, what's on your mind? You've been here for, you know, it's that classic 100-day sort of lens. And I said, look, our business has grown so much so fast and what worries me is we've really developed the muscles well for winning, but I'm not sure if we've developed the other muscles of losing. And coming from a business like Arnott's and Campbell's, which are, at that time Arnott's was over 150 years old. Yummy biscuits. <laughs> fantastic biscuits. <laughs> you know, you've run that cycle. You've won that sort of, you've run that sort of, we've been in great times, we've been in hard times. And I think in the digital industry, as an industry, it's only 30 years old. And so that sense of the different contextual experiences that happen, macroeconomic factors, market factors, I don't think, I'm not saying the business had never seen challenging times, but I think that sense of as a collective, did people really know what to do when things got tough? was something that I was observing. And and so we started that conversation um, as an executive team and, and full credit to Tracy at the time, who was our CEO. She was really supportive of that. And she's like, look, it sort of makes logical sense. And then, you know, it's almost <laughs> like I pro- prophesized it, but then, you know, 2019 happened, the Royal Commission, the well, in, that was in late 2018, but that then impacted the property market. So we had a really hard year that year. But I actually think it was a really good thing for the business because it created a context for the business to want to change. You know, and it's that classic people change, you know, when the pain of staying the same is greater than the the pain of making the change. And and so I think for us, it gave a a broader context for people to want to change. And so that then allowed us to really put the focus on, okay, well, what's the role of people leadership? We don't want to lose the heart in the business, but we want to sharpen the edge. And that's when we decided to do our first culture exercise in twenty. Not eight, late 2018, but then we did the full culture survey in 2020. And what does that look like? What's involved with that? 
we basically give everyone across the business the opportunity to input. Um, we don't expect everyone to do so, but you want a statistically significant sample. And for us, we were lucky that we got that from our business. And it's a decent investment of time. It's 20 minutes of Q&A and, and, you know, there's 240 items that people have to answer, like what does it feel like to work at REA? And that really gives you a great roadmap around, okay, where are we sort of being effective from a cultural point of view and where might be the things that get in the way for us as a business. Now, you did your first culture survey in 2018, but then you did another one in 2021. Yes, we did. I think I was referring to it as 2020 earlier, but it was actually 2021. So we have for a long time used the Lifestyles Inventory, which is the from Human Synergistics, which is the individual map. It's called an LSI. We use it a lot for our leaders. The OCI, which is the Organisation Culture Inventory, is actually the survey that measures culture. We did one in 2018. We took a dipstick of a small subset of the business. It was actually our senior leaders. But then we did the whole business in 2021. And what was really fascinating about that was that there were a bunch of people that answered that survey that had never set foot in an REA office. Yet their view of the culture was even more positive and more amplified. The results were quite strong across the board, but when you actually took out that group as a subset, they saw the culture even more positively or in the language that we would use from an OCI point of view constructively than those that hadn't that had had been longer tenured had had the experience of the office and virtual. So that was a great proof point for leaders to go, you think culture's about the building? Think again, look at this. And then the other great thing is because we were doing LSI as well, which is the individual tool, we were able to show leaders their maps and go, well, this is how you show up as a leader. This is how your group shows up from a cultural point of view. Can you see the connection here? Can you see how your leadership is influencing the culture? And so that was really powerful for us as well. Isn't that phenomenal, Corinne? Phenomenal. And you know what's great about it is when you can bring that level of awareness to a leader who can see how they're showing up versus the culture that they're creating, then light bulbs go off and they now know what they need to do differently in order to make the culture of their people, their teams, much more constructive, which is really that balance between task and people working together to deliver results from a very strong values based and a kind of person-centred approach to running a business. And change, Corinne, is hard, Mm. isn't it? It's Mm. very hard sometimes for people to recognise change can be positive. Totally. I think we, the human brain enjoys surprise, but it loves certainty. And, you know, we're designed to be able to pick up anything that's abnormal, uh, a change in condition. I think change is positive when we choose it. (laughs) Not so much if it's been happening to us. But either way you need to know how to be proactive. So I think that any organisation that focuses on culture and leadership, it's got the opportunity to help people be more resilient so that even when the reins are taken out of your hands, when change happens, you can look for where is my effort going to make a difference? Where do I put my, where am I best place to put my energy so that even though it still might be hard, that doesn't take the hard or the tough challenge out of it. What it does is help people feel like they're more in control, that they've got more influence and that they're more of an actor in the drama rather than being sort of a bystander. So I think there's a lot that we can do, but sometimes if we're too comfortable 
if we're too relaxed in our the habits that we use that have worked for us for years and years and years, that becomes almost a bit complacent and so you're not ready for when change comes about. What I want to talk about now, because of course the theme of our episode is that culture doesn't always live in the building, that you are able then during a very difficult time through COVID, people working remotely, how then did you ensure that this way of being a part of the business, how people saw themselves, that that remained positive during a very uncertain, stressful time for most of us? Yeah. And I think for a company like REA, so much of the identity of the business and by proxy, the culture was tied up in the the space, the offices. You know, you look at where we are and Corinne's been in both our Sydney office and our Melbourne office in particular. They're really cool. You know, you walk in, it's a great vibe. They're very modern. We're a tech business. So you, you can imagine, you know, just the, the space and the individuals in the space. And one of the things that I found really interesting was a number of my peers sort of going, well, what's going to happen to our culture now that we're not physically together? And for me, as someone who's a practitioner of culture, I guess I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like culture's in everything that we do. You know, these town halls that we're doing, that talks to our culture. The fact that leaders are supporting their in, their people and we're equipping them with the tools to do that, that's our culture. Our focus on well-being, that's our culture. And I think some people still do think, well, unless you're in the building, there is no culture. And don't get me wrong, there is no substitute for in-person collaboration at times. But I think what COVID showed us is that we could absolutely maintain a wonderful culture virtually. And we had to, you know, particularly for REA, which was Melbourne-based, you know, we were facing almost, for some people, a year where they weren't physically together. I think it was a good reminder to people that the building's one part of it, but really, you know, a lot of it is in the everyday behaviours. It's in the conversations you have with your leader. It's in the permission that they give you to be honest. It's in the permission you give yourselves as team members to have, you know, straight talk conversations or check in on each other. Like that's, that's the culture. It's not the bricks and the mortar. Don't get me wrong, lovely to be together. You know, one of the things we focused on at REA is what are those moments that matter that we should come together on? You know, when you're thinking about doing a discovery session, and we we had to do things over virtual using Miro, but to me there's no substitute for a nice room and a whiteboard and a just getting in there together, you know. I, I miss that. I miss yeah. that. You know. um, forgive me, what is Miro? Miro is basically, think about it as a virtual, it's a digital tool that allows you to almost create a virtual whiteboard, which is great. But to me, there's no substitute for my 3M post-it notes and my little, I'm really dating myself. No, you're should, not at all. No, I should stop. I had to ask you what Miro was. <laughs> I mean, I, I struggle with Teams. I'm more like a Zoom. Yeah, I like a we, Zoom. We, are, well, we were really lucky. We have Zoom and I would say, I've, uh, yeah, trying to do some other platforms are a bit challenging once you've had Zoom. Oh, so. Indeed. I think listening to you talk, Mary, I love that idea of culture isn't just restricted to the place you go to work Mm. each day. And and Corinna, I think to me it sounds like a great organisation to be a part of, doesn't it? Yeah, awesome organisation. I know that for a fact. I think that's right. I always smile because up until COVID, we had a lot of clients who were looking to do work on culture and they say, you know, it'll really help us. It's good timing. We're about to refurb our whole office and that is going to leap us forward in terms of culture. And I would be saying, oh, yeah, it'll help. You'll get a joy pop. 
you know, a bit of a sparkle because people are somewhere new. I think about culture as a heartbeat. The building isn't the heartbeat. People are. And so it's about clarity. Help me understand what I'm here to do. Help me understand where my effort should go. Help me understand how I should work with the people that I work with. Help me learn. Help me grow. And, you know, through that, you'll enjoy the work. And so I think that that's what REA have been good at doing. It's been really pristine clear about what they do, who they are, why it matters, and being able to communicate that to their people. Yeah. And we were lucky that we had a few examples that that really challenge people's paradigm around the coming together. So we have this global kickoff that we would normally do, bring everyone into one location, you know, lots of sizzle, lots of show, showmanship. And it was great. And we we would talk about it as the sugar hit for the business. And obviously, you know, in 2020, we couldn't do that. So we took that whole experience and we made it virtual. Now, How did you do that? What did you do? You know, credit where credit is due. We have the most incredible internal communications team. Um, You know, they happen to sit in my patch, but it doesn't matter where they sit organisationally. Sharice, who leads that team, and and her group were just phenomenally creative. They turned it into sort of like a vignette of virtual sort of series. We had the look back. We had the look forward. We did these amazing things where we would normally do the annual recognition. And you could imagine in a physical stage, you know, you'd have the whole ceremony. What we did is we got people talking with their leaders and then their executive would Zoom bomb into the meeting and go, hey, congratulations, you've just gotten this award. You know, they were just really smart. And there were lots of different elements of creativity. And we've now continued that as a series. So last year we were obviously virtual and this year we've chosen to be virtual as well because we had to sort of lock things down quite early and we just weren't sure where 2022 was going to end up and probably not a bad thing that we have just given where things are at at the moment. Well, that's it. It's, it's we're still in very much a state of flux, yeah, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. And you have to be, I think, flexible enough as an organisation. Like I said, with this one, we thought we would be together and we had to call it pretty early. I think, you know, most places want you to, if you're doing something in July, they want to know by March But again, the team has come up with something. So last year's was amazing. They had the future self talking to the past self or the current self talking to the past. So we had two versions of our CEO talking to himself from 2020 and 2021. Some really cool stuff like that, which, you know, again, is fun and interesting, but it conveys at the end of the day, it's purposeful and it conveys a message. And so for us, that's been a really important part. And and look, I think COVID was a game changer for internal comms teams because I think people never quite recognise the value that they brought to businesses. I would like to say we always did, but I think, as I often said to, to Sharice and her team, like they they were so instrumental in our success, I think, getting through that time. And also too, I think you got a chance to see totally new sides to people and that also, I think, engenders goodwill and connection. Oh, for sure. And and I think all bets are off during change in a way and, and so you... you you hope that people are curious and they allow for people to show up differently. But I think when there's big external change, that 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 permission I think is even greater. And I think we, we did see, you know, some people just really surprise us in a wonderfully outstanding way in the way that they came together around the challenges. And, and even from a, a marketplace perspective, if you think about it, we had to move to online auctions and 
allowing for people to be able to do that. And and so our product teams and our technology teams, our delivery teams just came together so well to be able to deliver that for our consumers. Speaking from, I suppose, a personal perspective, we, um, we sold our house during lockdown and so we did one of those online auctions. Yeah. Oh, talk about, I mean, nerve-wracking. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's still phenomenal the way that the technology could still make that happen. Yeah. But, yeah. oh, my goodness. And then that creates other opportunities down the line because I think, I think that's been one of the blessings of COVID. It's challenged people's paradigms in lots of different ways. And one of them is what is the workplace and how should we work? And and as I, you know, as we talk about as a team, people have seen some improvements here. The flexibility that people have been afforded and and we're lucky we're in an organisation where we don't have the duality of, let's say, a manufacturing facility where it's got to be 24-7 in person. I know we're lucky that we don't have to make those choices, but we recognise that for people, they now have time back in their lives. They don't want to let that go. Mm -hmm. And so how do we do it in a way that works for them, but also works for the business? This sort of sense of creating the shared value, I think, is really important. And talking about that shared value, another thing that I found really fabulous about what you do was that you gave people the opportunity to take leave. Yes. Without any sort of particular, you know, structures around it with, oh, you can only have a limited amount of time. Yeah. We chose, particularly in Melbourne where, and we've got quite a younger demographic within the business, quite a scale younger demographic, lots of people with young children and and the ability for someone to be able to really work nine to five when you've got a two-year-old and daycare's closed and all those sorts of things. So we, we, we chose select times and during periods, and we said to people, like, for this period, you know, as long as it's reasonable, we understand it will be unlimited. Um, and, and so we made those calls. And I know other organisations brought in COVID leave and, 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 and those sorts of things. The Zoom fatigue set in quite early for a lot of people. Um, and so we did an experiment where we said for two hours a day, 12 to 2, it's Zoom free. And what we found is by giving the organisation that permission at scale, it was a real unlock. And and not every, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was religious, everyone did it, but just that sense of being able to say to someone, hey, we're in the 12 to 2 zone, um, you know, and obviously we're encouraging people, do walking meetings, don't, everything doesn't have to be on the screen. And even now I think that's a blend that we're still trying to get right in our business. Corinne, mm-hmm. here's yet another example of, of innovation and doing things differently and it working. Yeah, it's kind of become the norm, but we forget that what COVID did was actually revolutionise how we work. And the reason I say it's revolutionised because almost overnight, every business had to pretty much send their people home and they had to learn how to adapt from that, except for the people, essential, you know, physical infrastructure. We're still trying to work it out. So some organisations have learnt to adapt worked out how to use platforms. There's so much more, though, that's happened in the marketplace to enable organisations to be virtual effectively. But we're still working it through. We're still working it out. What's the best blend of giving people the flexibility and choice that they've enjoyed while making sure that the business is able to operate and operate effectively? And I think that it's been the birthing of so many great ideas. You know, I've got another client that has Meeting Free Fridays, another client that's experimented with sort of mental health Mondays. So just everybody has that Monday off. So there's been a lot of experimentation, which I love because were it not for something that impacted so broadly, I don't think we would have discovered it. Agreed. 
totally agree. I think it gave us the permission. And and look, again, REA is a business that's, a, you know, been operating in an agile way for a very long time. So the DNA of experimentation is very much in the business. But that permission to be able to try stuff and go, you know, we're going to give this a go. And if it doesn't work, we'll make a different choice. So we started um, Summer Fridays again, which is, you know, some of organisations had, I know we had it at Arnott's, but we've kept it, you know. So summers, you know, if you're done by 12 to 1, use the time to either do planning for next week or take an early mark or invest in your own learning. You know, we're trying to create that that permission for people. And I think it's just so important that businesses that we create the things we want to create. You know, I talk about it for the highest common denominator in our business. I think a lot of times people are fearful to try something because they're worried about, well, what if someone takes advantage of that? And I'm like, well, if you think that that, that's the scale of representation in your business, you've got a big problem. You know, we should be designing things for people to do the right things with. And yes, might there be someone that might take advantage of it potentially, but I don't think that should stop us from experimenting. It shouldn't stop you from having a crack, should it? No. And I think, you know, you've got to trust that you've got the right people in your business. You know, I think, of course, you know, no business is perfect. There will always be one or two, hopefully not too many people that aren't doing what the things the way you want them to. But that shouldn't be what drives how you design things, I think. You should design for the majority of your business, which is hopefully doing the right stuff, doing it the right way. Mary, have you always been so wise? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, I just, um, oh, look, I think it's just human nature, you know, and I think it's about knowing it's the Mary. business. No, no, it's not. Um, I think it's just about knowing the businesses that you're in. And, and again, I, I don't get to make these decisions in a vacuum. So I have to influence my peer set and stakeholders, but it doesn't take a lot of influencing. And so I think one of the things that I feel fortunate is I've, you know, a bit of luck, but also a bit of choice. I, I'm really picky about where I work and I want to be able to be in an organisation that allows me the latitude to be able to do the things that I know will drive the business. Because at the end of the day, if you took sleep out of the equation, we're probably working more than we're doing most other things. The IKEA ad says a third, a third, a third, but I don't believe that. I think it's a bit more at work. And so to know that you can cultivate and curate this experience for people that's amazing for them, that creates value for an organisation, that's just so important. And so I have just feel really fortunate that it started with a great organisation like Lion and then moved to Campbell Arnott's and, and now at REA. So, Corinne, you say there, it's Mary. Give us a little bit of insight into, I mean, you both have been working together mm. for quite a long time over the years. Can you give me a bit of a, a sense of what that looks like and what that means? In terms of the person, I think it's very important to have this combination of being able to uh, flex your mindset and your vision. So to be able to go up in the helicopter and see what's happening across not just the organisation and the system, but also be able to come down on the ground and be able to sense. So I think the first thing and something that Mary does very well is to watch, listen, sense and learn and observe and then the decisions and the choices are really based on that understanding. And a lot of the conversations we've had over the years have really been shooting the breeze and um, really bouncing ideas off and stretching each other's thinking, even if you're challenged to still be open. And I think that's something that um, I've observed 
in the way that Mary's worked throughout her whole career and also brought to the organisations. And certainly the other people, I think, who also bring this kind of ability to create change, you know, the change makers, uh, have this, this curiosity, this open heart, um, non-defensive approach and just interested, you know, how could it be better? Uh, what would it look like? What would it sound like? How could I think about this differently? I think, you know, they've been the critical things as well. Oh, very, very <laughs> humbling to hear. Thanks, Karina. But it, it's, I think for all of us, nothing, we don't ever work in a vacuum, do we? It's not just, we don't just come on our own mm. to a role and just be that person. We have to learn from one another, take different sort of, um, be inspired. And, and Mary, for you in terms of inspiration, where do you see your business going ahead in terms of your role? I mean, you've you've helped navigate a very difficult time through COVID. Yeah. What's next? Um, it's a great question. I've been with REA now for going on four and a half years. And um, I think uh, I'm, I'm super excited about where the business is in terms of its continued ability to grow in Australia. So we've made some interesting choices around moving into financial services. We bought Mortgage Choice. We also have, you know, our data business prop track, which which services a different set of customers in terms of our banking clients and really creating that incredible ability to showcase out the property data that we have. I'm equally excited about our India business. Um, we took full operational control of that business actually just after COVID in December 2020. And uh, I think that's probably more of a personal goal for me, if I'm honest. Um, I've worked in emerging markets throughout my entire career, firstly with Lion in Shanghai, as we discussed a bit earlier. And at that point, I think it was the right time, but probably the wrong execution. And then when I was at Campbell's in the US, I worked in emerging markets in Russia and China, and I would say it was probably the wrong time. The India business feels like it's the right time, um, the right team and the right plan, and now we've got to execute it. And so for me, it's that third time's a charm. I really, you know, because don't get me wrong, the Australian business is fantastic, but we are, you know, 20, how many people in Australia now? 25 million people. The ability to be able to really shape a market that's over a billion people with an emerging middle class and prop tech being where it is in that sort of curve Super, super now, prop exciting. Now, tech again, that's <laughs> so, property technology. That's Would right. that be right? Perfect. Yes. Thanks, Jess. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that I haven't thrown in more acronyms. Yes, absolutely right. And and when you look at where India is as a market, it's probably where Australia was sort of maybe five to seven, maybe five to ten years ago. And so if we can get the proposition right and consolidate our market leadership, it's such an exciting time to be there. We're also, um, you know, an investor in Property Guru, which is Southeast Asia's largest um, online property experience digital portal, and um, they just listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So there's just some really exciting growth opportunities, and equally, the core business is super exciting. You know, REA continues to grow, and I'm really passionate about what we can do here. But also, I think, as you can probably tell, for from an international point of view, how we can continue to grow. I think exciting is an understatement. How how then do you look at or think about culture in those sorts of emerging markets? It's a great question. And I think I was reading something earlier today that talked about, you know, it's a lot easier to bend than it is to break. Mm. And I really, I, I can't remember what context I was reading it in, but I really liked it through that lens of we, we, we acquired this business one and a half years ago. 
And we've been really thoughtful about where does it make sense to try and bring things together versus where does it make sense to leave things working the way they are. And with my counterpart um, who runs the HR team over or PNC team over in India, Rohit, we've had lots of conversations about that. You know, where can we help the business drive forward versus saying, well, we want it to be the same just for sameness's sake. And I think that's something that's really important in the way that we not only operate from a people and culture point of view, but also just broader business point of view with India. You know, we've got some very smart people there, a really talented team. They're almost the same size as REA Australia. We've got to unlock and accelerate as opposed to saying, well, you know, your values are this and our values are that. The reality is the content of them is essentially the same. There is no, pardon the pun, value in me, in in us spending time to get the same values, right? That's a great example to me of where that would just be a waste of time. There's so many more important things we've got to help that business do. So for me, I think it's how do we know when to sort of insert ourselves, but equally when to step back. And we got some interesting lessons from the time that we had businesses in Asia, I think, about where we got that mix. Sometimes we got it right and sometimes I think we got it wrong. And Corinne, that listening to Mary discuss mm. that there, that idea or insight though to say, yes, there were some times when it was right mm. and other times when it was wrong mm. so we can learn and do things differently. It's really interesting because like one of the stats that gets bandied around in change and culture change and acquisition and mergers is that 70% of them fail. And they usually fail because of this cultural dimension And they usually fail because they haven't taken the time. So it's weird. We're attracted to this company. It's doing really well. We'll buy them and we'll change them. And so, of course, their potential's not realised. And so I think that that's critical. Often when companies buy other companies in emerging markets or even ones here, it's not just about the financial, not just about making sure that the numbers stack up. It's also about understanding what makes that business work And where does it make sense for us to leverage and get economies of scale? And where can they teach us something? And where do we just leave them alone because it's working really well? It's really fundamentally about respect, right? But if you hold the view that you're the one who's buying and so you have all the answers, and I think that that's where many organisations have gone wrong because they've made too many assumptions, they've thought that they were right, and in a, in a way, they've kind of destroyed the core of what made that acquisition work. So I think it's um, key, you know, whether it's here or whether it's in, in another country. In another country, you've got a culture that's completely mm. different. And so what might make it effective is based on a completely different way of thinking. And so you've really got to take time, understand how things work and why it works in that way, ask lots of questions because I think it is, you know, it's the, we've talked about this before, Jessica, you know, that Kenny Rogers, you've got to know when to hold, you've got to know when to fold. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. We're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you, Mary, you're heavily involved in the International Women's yes. Forum. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that and why that is important to sure. you. I'll, I'll try and do the short version. Uh, when I was living in the US working for Campbell's, I was the head of organisational development globally. And at the time, the CEO, Douglas Conant, who's just an amazing man, said to me, you know, you're doing a lot of things for everyone else. How about you do something for you? And introduced me to this program sponsored by the International Women's Forum, a fellows program. Great experience, 30 women from around the world, got to go to Harvard, got to go to Cambridge, got to connect as a community of women for over six months. And, 
you know, chapters globally for over 30 years, no chapter in Australia. And I remember saying to my peer said at the time, you know, I really want to create this Australian chapter. And I wasn't the one that started it. Uh, one of the ex-fellows got in touch in 2014 and she said, we need an Australian chapter. And I'm like, yeah, we do. And we got together and created with a number of other women at the time, I think it was about 50 of us, um, our first IWF chapter um, for Australia. And it's just for me, it's that sense of our purpose is to connect as women and grow as leaders. And it's that sense of that professional safety. You know, when you think about the roles that we're all doing, and it's not just corporates, it's women from all fields, from academia, from not-for-profit, from science, we've got doctors, we've got architects, but it's that sense of this safe space. And I know there's lots of networking groups, but for us, one of our key mantras is we are there for each other first and foremost. And to have that sense of community that isn't about facade or veneer, but about really being there for each other good times, hard times, I need advice, I need a safe place to land. It was just really important to me that we had something like that here. And um, and so I'm really proud to be a part of it. And um, yeah, that's how I got involved. And, and so I'm hoping that, you know, we continue to go from strength to strength with that. We're one of the newest chapters in the in the globe. But I would say, you know, we, we hosted the global conference about five years ago. So that was really, well, three years ago. So that was really cool. Mary, if you're involved, it is going to go from strength (laughs) to strength. Thanks, Jess. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you and to get some of your insights and some of your story. Thank you so very much. And Corinne, of course, it's always wonderful to hear from you. Pleasure. Thank you. I hope you'll join us next time for a chat with Kate Evans, Group Executive of People and Culture at Shape Australia. We'll be asking, why culture and why It's so important. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with Human Synergistics, hosted by me, Jess Rowe, produced by Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens, with audio production by Kelly Folston. Listener.